Hey folks, you know what? A small regret is slouching in the dentist chair thinking I should have brushed and flossed better. A big health regret is listening to your doctor and thinking I should have paid attention to nutrition when I was younger. I have that regret a lot. Better health today and when it matters most is why I take Field of Greens. Field of Greens is unlike any fruit and vegetable or green product. Field of Greens isn't watered down extracts. Field of Greens is an organic superfood. It's whole fruits and vegetables. Each fruit and vegetable was selected by doctors to support vital body functions like heart, liver, kidneys, metabolism, and of course, your immune system. And only Field of Greens is backed by a better health promise. At your next checkup, your doctor will notice your improved health or you're gonna get your money back. Don't look back and say, I should have paid attention to nutrition when I was younger. Field of Greens is a key to better health today, right now, and when it matters most. Let's get you started with 15% off and free shipping. All you got to do is visit fieldofgreens.com and use the promo code JUSTNEWS at checkout. That's promo code JUSTNEWS at fieldofgreens.com. Hello, America, and welcome to the Monday edition of John Solomon Reports, the podcast from Just the News, where, yes, four days, five days later, people are still talking about the John Durham investigation, the latest indictment. I had a lot of fun getting to talk to my good friend Maria Bartiroma on Sunday Futures yesterday, and we really talked about these signs. I mean, we now know without any doubt that the Clinton campaign was at the center of creating the false story that was the Steele dossier. You've got Christopher Steele on the payroll, Perkins Coie, the law firm running the operation. You've got this guy, Dan Chenko, who was just indicted. He's on the payroll of Steele. And then you go down and you find out even below Dan Chenko, there's another Clinton person feeding information into this, a PR executive long tied to Bill and Hillary Clinton. All right. So the first part of the story is now eminently and irrevocably clear. The Clinton campaign created the bogus Steele dossier. It was an all-person effort. It just wasn't Christopher Steele. It's from top to bottom. You've got Jake Sullivan touting the concept of it early on. You've got Harry Reid trying to call attention to it at the end of the campaign. Hillary Clinton herself is calling attention to the allegations in the investigation. But there's a big unanswered question. And that is, did the FBI just get hoodwinked or were they complicit? Were they willing to overlook the signs either because they didn't like Donald Trump, they liked Hillary Clinton better, some other reason that we don't yet know. Well, the body of evidence that we're beginning to assemble are focused really on that issue. It looks like there's a lot of evidence that the FBI got the warnings that this should have been dropped and they literally blew past them. Blew past not one, not two, not three, but five, six, seven warnings. And I'm going to give you all of those in a second. But first, let me give you a quick heads up of what today's show is going to be like. We're really excited. We've got three amazing guests. You saw over the weekend all the lawsuits filed against Joe Biden's new vaccine mandate. The big one, the first one out of the box was filed by Job Creators Network, the small business group. And we're going to be lucky enough to be joined by Alfredo Ortiz, the president of Job Creators Network, and the businessman, Gary Rabin, who was the plaintiff in that lawsuit, saying that it is an unconstitutional infringement on his businesses to require his employees 
to get a vaccine mandate that others don't have to get, like illegal aliens or smaller businesses. This is a historic lawsuit. We're going to have Alfredo and Gary on to describe it, why they did it, where it's headed. Late yesterday, more news on that Job Creators Network wants a nationwide injunction asking that this mandate be frozen in every place in this country until the important legal issues are decided. Right now, the mandate has been suspended in the Fifth Circuit down in Texas, Texas, Louisiana. They got an immediate injunction. Ken Paxton, who we had on the show last week, won that injunction, but so much more. We're going to have them on. And then we're also going to be talking to Robbie Starbuck. You know him as a great Hollywood producer and director who came out as conservative a few years ago. He is the son of American Cuban refugees, Cuban-American refugees. He is running for a blue seat in Tennessee that is now one of the most watched races in the country. We're going to have Robbie on to talk about what did he learn from Virginia, what's going on in Tennessee, what are all these issues, supply chain shortages, inflation, vaccine mandates, what are all of those things doing to his campaign and to the larger electorate? And as a Latino, does he see an extraordinary opening for Republicans to connect with Latinos in the next election. We're going to ask all that in just a break. Now, I want to get back to Christopher Steele and the Steele dossier. All right, so you know now it's irrefutable that the Clinton campaign were at every aspect of the dossier and the effort to flood the FBI with information, much of it bogus or uncorroborated, to get the FBI to investigate Donald Trump for Russia collusion when there was no such collusion. It was contrived. Now, the question is, did the FBI just get hoodwinked by a really slick Hillary operation, or was there more complicity than what we already know in the Durham investigation, which is that one lawyer for the FBI doctored a piece of evidence to make Carter Page look like a Russian spy when, in fact, he was a CIA asset. They kept that from the courts and Congress for a very long time. Such an important point, right? Well, that's not the only red flag. So let me just walk you through what we know are the stop points, the potential stop points where the FBI should say, whoa, wait a second, this doesn't make sense. Let's stop this. We shouldn't be intruding on the election based on false allegations from a rival campaign. We should be looking at Donald Trump because Hillary Clinton wants us to. So let's start at the beginning, July 5th, 2016. That's the day that Hillary Clinton gets exonerated by James Comey unlawfully, as the IG ultimately concluded, that he usurped the authority. The Attorney General had no right to exonerate her. That was a prosecutive decision that was not his to make. But on that day, Christopher Steele walks into his old handler. This is a meeting in London. And the FBI in London does not act on the early information, doesn't open an investigation. That's odd, isn't it? You know, former British... MI6 guy comes in saying, I think Donald Trump's on the take with Russia or in bed with Russia. The career people in London chose not to open an investigation right away. That's a red flag. Okay. Then Christopher Steele comes to the United States. He meets with his buddy, Bruce Orr, the Justice Department official. And Bruce goes to the Justice Department in August, early August, and says, hey, Christopher Steele shopping this around. You should know three things. One, he's working for Hillary Clinton's campaign. Two, he has an enormous bias against Donald Trump. And three, this is very raw information that's probably not well-sourced or corroborated. Wow, no wonder why the London FBI didn't act on this, right? 
Well, that's a warning sign. That should have been a stop sign, but not for James Comey, not for Andrew McCabe, not for Pete Strzok, right? It just keeps going. So in early September, this is very important, the CIA sends a warning to the FBI, one that's already been given to President Obama back in July. Hey, FBI, you should know that we have real information that Hillary Clinton has authorized a dirty trick against Donald Trump to make him look like he has a Russia collusion problem, to make it look like he's the guy with Russia that stole their emails as part of an effort to get the intention off of her own email problem. The FBI's told they know that Hillary's behind this. They've been told by Bruce Orr already. That doesn't stop them. You go on and you see more warnings all through the summer and fall. CIA warns that Carter Page is their guy, not a Russian stooge like they're claiming. The FBI analysts are keeping a spreadsheet. They can't corroborate hardly anything in the Steele dossier. CIA comes in and says, hey, beyond the fact that Carter Page is one of our guys, we see some serious Russian disinformation injected into this dossier. None of that stops the FBI. None of that gets to the FISA court. None of that gets to Congress. The FBI continues to persist time and time and time again to investigate something, even though they've been told the evidence, the allegations are bogus Russian disinformation, Hillary Clinton-infused garbage. Now you ask yourself, how could you be that bad? This is a black eye for the Comey FBI, no matter which way it turns out. But the two options, neither one of them are good for the American public. Either the FBI is so incompetent, it couldn't see the red flags that were raised to it in the bigger picture, or it did something more nefarious to keep a political dirty trick going against a candidate that they or the intelligence community, the FBI or their leadership, James Comey, Andrew McCabe, someone didn't like. Neither one of those options are good. Just think about that. Neither one. I guess John Durham will answer those questions for us in the weeks ahead, but very important, very important information to think about. Was the FBI culpable because it wanted a bad investigation to go forward? That is a question that John Durham owes the American people a final answer. All right, we're going to take that commercial break. When we come back, first up, Robbie Starbuck, the great Hollywood producer, candidate for Tennessee congressional seat. He's up first, followed by my good friend Alfredo Ortiz and a gubernatorial candidate in Illinois, Gary Rabin, a small businessman who joined together with Alfredo's Job Creators Network to sue to challenge the Biden mandate. We'll have that in just a few seconds. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app today to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. 
Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at That's Byte.com. That's B Y T E.com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. All right, folks, welcome back from the commercial break. And as promised, a very special guest. First time on the show. I'm very excited about this. He is the son of Cuban uh, American refugees. He was a tremendous force inside Hollywood as a director, producer, and now he is one of those candidates trying to flip a blue uh, seat to a red state in the 2022 election. Joining me right now is Robbie Starbuck. Robbie, great to have you on the show. Thank you so much. I appreciate it, John. You have so much going on right now, but I want to zero in on something that I think a lot of people are talking about. I was just on the road the last couple of days and everybody's talking about the economy, the price of gas, the price of heating oil, uh, the shortages of supplies and parts and uh, a lack of a labor force uh, wanting to work right now. Tell us how big an issue right now the economy is for the American people and, and how it's playing in your own race in Tennessee. Um, I would say it's the number one issue because it's the issue at which everything else intersects, you know. Um, so all the other issues we're seeing, I mean, if you're talking about the vaccine mandates or things along those lines, they all intersect with the economic issues, you know, and it's interesting. It's kind of funny. You'll see on the left. Um, I unfortunately watch, you know, what they do and read what they do because it's good to stay informed on, you know, what narrative they're running with. For sure. The narrative that I'm seeing from the left is that it's actually us evil Republicans that are responsible for the economic recovery being derailed uh, because in their imaginary fantasy land, we're leading our own voters to die in red states, which is why um, our economy is not where it should be. Now, if you're like me, you're much more run on data than you are on that emotional sort of argument about things like this. So the actual data shows that the 17 of the top 20 states for recovering jobs from the pandemic are all led by Republicans. Okay. So that alone, you know, that kind of kills. If you hear that argument, there's your ammunition to be able to go back and say, Hey, actually that's not accurate. Um, But, you know, I think it's an interesting point, even in our States, even in our red States here in Tennessee, it's the number one issue. People are noticing every time they go to the store, every time they go to the gas pump, these are the real issues. You know, if you talk about like how our relationship with Germany is, your average voter really doesn't care. They don't care. You know, I mean, there's, you'll find a couple people who care. Very few care. People care about how much their food costs at the grocery store. Yeah, they care they how do. much the gas costs, you know? So that's the stuff I hear every single day. And what's shocked me actually over the past six months, and I think This is something in 2022 we're going to see reflected in the way people vote or how enthusiastic they are to vote. In some way, I know this is going to come across in 2022. I've been shocked by the number of young people who in previous years have been the first ones to sort of hate me for being so vocal about being conservative. Now being the ones going, hey, you know what? I I can't stand the Democrats. I'm going to go ahead and vote for a Republican. You know, and I don't agree with you on everything, but, you know, we've got to at least write the ship on the economy. And if that's our opening, that's our opening. And we can sort of open them up to everything else along the way. But there is a gigantic opening there with young people and Latinos specifically uh, to, to go ahead and shift the vote wildly. I was with a Latino family over the weekend in Virginia and. They were, they were saying this to me. They, they've sort of been, they, they view themselves as being independent. They, you know, they vote you know, basically on the line. They're saying, listen, the values that we're seeing in the Democratic Party now are just not our values anymore. And, and, and some of the things we hear, we just scratch our heads and say, forget they're not our values. These aren't even American values. And uh, there's a very young, you know, millennial couple in their early 30s. 
there seems to be an extraordinary moment in American history for Republicans to connect with Latino voters in ways that we haven't seen. Do you do you do you see that as, a, as one of the big bridges about to be built? A thousand percent. We should run the table in elections. I mean, we should be crushing Democrats, not just because Biden's unpopular, not just because of the economy, but because our policies, you know, when it comes to, let's say, the Latino community, Latinos largely are a very conservative community. Yeah. You know, I know the Cuban community, I'm a slightly biased since we're probably the most conservative voting bloc in the country. But every other Latino family, they care about family, hard work, faith. These are like the leading things. And that's not exactly descriptive of the Democratic Party. Now, you know what I think is really funny? I would love for Democrats to continue calling us Latinx, okay? That's something that has <laughs> driven so many Latinos nuts, and no nobody wants to be called that. It's been polled, I think, three times at this point, and the best it's ever polled is 2% of Latinos wanting to be called it. Wow. Um, the rest basically consider it a slur, but the Democrats just continue to do it. Even here, uh, the seat that I'm running for, the rep here, Jim Cooper, he's been in Congress over 30 years yes. and he's using it here, you know, um, and, you know, that's a whole other story. I'm sure we'll talk about when we get to elections because he's on a crying tour over the redistricting. But, you know, this stuff is not popular with regular people. All of the woke stuff, all of the Latinx, you know, you can say this, you can't say this, changing definitions of words and everything. None of it's popular with normal people. And I think that that's starting to become reflective in the voting habits we're seeing change. Yeah, there really is. And, you know, one, one of the words, and I, I see it in one of your ads, too, um, uh, the, the sense of tyranny that a lot of Hispanic families come from places where freedom wasn't always a given, Cuba being a great example with your family. But, you know, even some of the Central American countries and others where we see a large influx of migrants today. And they come here and they can't believe now some of the, the word tyranny is actually one of the words we use at the dinner table. Uh, they can't believe the amount of freedom that's now being usurped by big government, by big, I think one of them at the table the other day said big socialist government, or big government socialism. Uh, is the size of government intimidating to people who have, here in America now, who came here hoping to get himself free from big government, big intrusions? You know, I'm not so sure that it's entirely size. For me, it is. But I think for like your average voter that I talk to, it's actually more so utility. It's what the government's doing that is scaring them, you know, and seeing them exert the power they're exerting. I think if they weren't exerting the power they were exerting right now and trying to steal freedoms from people, I think maybe you'd see it be less important to them. Right. Um, but it's all about, you know, real effect on your daily life. And so when they see, hey, over the past two years, the government has forced me to shut my business or I've lost my job because of a mandate or you know, my my child wasn't able to go to school or they're in this virtual school where they've been taught all this insane stuff that I just am finding out is being taught in our schools. All of these things in combination with one another are kind of all happening at once over this small period of time, relatively. And so, you know, there's sort of an awakening to just how deep the rot is within every segment of our government and our culture. You know, when you get into even just outside of government, the government itself is not operating solely as a government anymore. You know, we've got almost a combination with the technocracy that they run hand in yeah, hand with, with big tech. Great point. And as a result of that, you know, people are seeing this extended to their very voice online and their ability to have an opinion. And so when you tell people you're not allowed to have an opinion anymore, you're not allowed to do this, you can't even go outside without, you know, applying these rules that we've decided you must follow 
people start to get very, very, very unhappy. And that happens really quickly. And I think that's what we're seeing. You know, for me or my wife, you know, it was immediate. My wife was one of the people when they said two weeks, well, especially like two weeks, nothing, this is never going to end. Right. We cannot comply with this, you know. And um, and she was right. You know, this they don't want this to end. We just saw in California they're saying that the mask mandate will last at least until 2023. Okay. They don't want this to end. This has been, you know, one of the greatest deliverers of power they've ever had. Now, you know, I had an interesting conversation recently with somebody and they said, why is everything suddenly so overt? And I think that that's a really good point for people to understand, because this has been under the surface for a long time. And subtlety has been very important to the Democrats plan to shift culture wildly in every segment of culture, whether it's entertainment, media, academia or big government itself. And Every left-wing authoritarian, we'll call them left-wing fascists, because that's kind of what I feel like they are at this point, they reach a point in time where to consolidate power, they have to be over. You have to go for it. And that's what we're seeing right now. We're witnessing them go for it. So they've moved to this overt stage, because I think they understand that in 2022, um, one of two things is going to happen. It's their play for total control or a reckoning. And so as they make this play for total control, and we should be very concerned about what they're willing to do in order to get that, you know, we're going to see things be more overt. That's why we see these reports of things where they're floating out ideas like giving illegal immigrants $450,000 each if they were separated at the border. Um, you know, where you see all this sort of crazy stuff that your normal person scratches their heads and goes, there's no way that's true. That's crazy. You know, you're going to see more and more of that because they have to make this overt play now. Yeah, so fascinating, that dynamic. And I hadn't thought of it that way until you say it, but you know, you start putting things that have happened the last six months, it really fits that pattern very, very clearly. Um, the In the Virginia election, there were some really, when you look at the exit polling, some really clear pointers for where Republicans have enormous opportunity. Economy was number one, education and all of the silly things going on in our schools, it was number two. And then security, whether it's the border or the uh, uh, local crime wave uh, during the defunding era of democratic policies, those three things really all were the top three things cited by voters. And across all three of those, Republicans were preferred on. You're running in Tennessee, you're trying to unseat a guy who's been a Democrat in a red state for a very long time. How big a deal are those issues in terms of being able to connect with his district and flip that district red? Well, it's massive. You know, we've been on education since day one. So uh, this hasn't been a six month thing. This has been, you know, actually since before the 2020 election, um, we've been talking about this. So this was happening probably 2019 is when we started really advocating here. Uh, But my wife and I have been talking about the dangers of CRT and CSE, um, two different two different problems for probably about seven years now um, and trying to warn people it's coming. It's kind of funny about seven years ago when we started talking about it, people thought we were crazy. Now a ton of those people, many of which were Democrat voters are like, Oh, we see what you were talking about now. Not, not so crazy. Um, So it's going to be big here. You know, what's bigger for us individually in this seat is the redistricting because uh, middle Tennessee has grown about 10% over the last 10 years. And it's largely an influx of red voters. Yeah. It's largely, conservative voters. Um, So as a product of that growth, we were just under the threshold to receive a new congressional seat. As a result, redistricting is, you know, it's got to happen. Every surrounding seat is at least a plus 35, which means that when they redistrict this, they've got to basically eat into those areas. And so the estimations that are out there is that this seat will go somewhere from a plus five Republican to all the way up to a plus 28 
We'll see where it ends up in January, but it's going to be, no doubt, a much more conservative seat. And the um, National Republican Congressional Committee just announced that it's a flip target. So, um, you know, we're in a fantastic position just on that front. But education is one of the leading issues for sure outside of the economy. And I'd say, you know, when you get out of that, out of education, again, you touched on another issue that's very important. And that's that's essentially like we talked about with the economy, you know, all these other levers, all these other things that connect to it. And so each one of these issues, I think, is going to be very important as we go in, because even education is intrinsically tied to our economy, too. So we've got to understand, you know, on that front, I've met so many parents in places like Davidson County, where Nashville is, when schools are shut down, parents' jobs are affected, yeah. you know? And so all these things, they tie together. Every policy failure is leading towards our economy buckling and, and sort of bursting at the seams, and not in a good way. It is just remarkable. And the dynamics of uh, how people are connected. And I think you know, it's funny, the silver lining that the pandemic had, because obviously we had a lot of pain and suffering and economic strife and people died and it's been a very difficult time. But parents who were home with their children suddenly started to see what was going on in the classroom in a way they didn't have a vantage point before. And they got, oh my God, I can't believe what my, their teacher, my kids, stop it. And the level of engagement of people that know what's going on from their local school level all the way up now to the presidential, the people seem to be more dialed in. Are you finding voters like more, more uh, attuned to the, what's going on and being more concerned about government? It's not just a 2% thing. They have a lot more time to be worried about it. Absolutely. And not only that, you know, I just saw this thing, this video of Joe Biden, where he uh, essentially says voters are too stupid to know how yeah. supply chain works. Yeah. And I was sitting that. there, I watched that video a couple of different times. Saturday news. First, yeah. of all, first of all, he gave the most ridiculous explanation for how the supply chain is breaking down that I've ever heard. In fact, while we're talking, I'm going to go ahead and pull it up because I have to read this transcript because it's <laughs> one of the silliest things that you have ever, ever, ever heard. Um, it's absolutely ludicrous. But unlike him, I think voters are intelligent enough. And I've seen this reflected in our campaigning to understand the issues that are affecting their life. And yeah. I think there's nobody more qualified to tell us what is wrong with our, our state, our country, the city they live in, than the people who live in it and experience it every single day. I don't know who would be more qualified for that, but um, I do have to read this quote. Okay, this is what Joe Biden said, and this is verbatim, okay? This is word for word. Joe Biden's explanation for how the supply chain is breaking down is this, quote, it's backed up because people's supplies or materials that end up being on our kitchen table or in our, in, in our fam, our life, <laughs> guess what? They're closed plants because they have COVID. Those are his exact words. Oh, my God. Okay. Yeah, that is his explanation. And that was after he insulted and condescended American voters saying they just don't understand the yeah. supply chain crisis. A waiter would never understand this uh, the no. very complicated answer he just gave yeah. us. They're there. Close those plants because they have covid. OK, I wish, you know, if we had a real media, somebody in that room would have asked, hey, Joe, could you name two plants that are closed because they have covid? Yeah. The answer is there are no. Would, he would have no answer. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh, my gosh. It, it is. I mean, if you're going to say you're smarter than the next person, you better sound it after you, you call yourself out for it. And he, he, he has this problem of this meandering, nonsensical answer that I think people are really starting to become. It's beyond uh, a comedy now. It's actually, you know, 
what the heck is this guy uh, thinking? And and maybe this explains some of his policies that he's taken on. It's um, it is truly remarkable to 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 see his answers. And the more he's left to his own answering, the more trouble he seems to wind himself into. Um, Twenty seven states already have sued to block the vaccine mandate. Uh, there are some blue states in there. In fact, Kansas's Democratic governor uh, was very critical of Joe Biden, saying this is a completely unnecessary and going to be counterproductive order. Uh, how surprising is it that more than half the country in the first weekend after he imposes these OSHA regulations that they stand up and say, we're not going to do this. It doesn't matter how worried we are about the pandemic. This is a bad solution. How surprising is that? What's surprising is there's not more. And I applaud that, Governor. She, um, I'm glad she did that. We need more Democrats to speak up about yeah. these, you know, total violations of our constitutional rights. You know, it doesn't matter if you choose to get the vaccine. I, I really it's it's none of my business. And that's how I think it should be for politicians. We're not we're not your medical providers. We have no idea what your prior medical history is. We don't know what your situation is. That is between, honestly, it's really up to you. But, you know, my only advice I would give anybody is consult with somebody you trust on your health care. Yep. Okay. Outside of that, government has no place in this. There's no place for any mandates at all. The very best you could even possibly do, and even this is questionable as a politician, is just give give a little bit of advice. You know, if you have some helpful advice, wash your hands, whatever it is. Okay, fine. I can deal with that. Don't mandate things though. This is the, a blatant violation of our rights. And I think it goes back to the very core of all of this. They, they fundamentally hate America. You know, they, I don't say that lightly. It's not just a partisan statement. It's not just, I don't like them. I don't like Democrats. It's that's genuinely where they stand. They fundamentally do not love this country. They don't believe in freedom. They want authoritarian rule from the left. They want to be able to control what you can say, where you can work, what you can do, when you can eat. I mean, they want to control everything. They want to control what your child is allowed to be taught. I think that all these things are coming to a head. And there's too many people, fortunately, who still do love this country. You know, I tell people a lot at rallies um, when we look at the trajectory of this this future we have in front of us. If we don't make the right choices and we continue to allow these people to run this country, we're looking at a future in not very distant future where we end up like Cuba. And in Cuba right now, what do we see? We see these people willing to die for freedom. Yeah. And they're waving our flag. And they're waving it because our flag still means something to them, you know, and I think Americans need to take that to heart. Why does that flag mean more to them than it does to so many of our countrymen? And I think that people really need to challenge themselves to wake up because freedom sometimes when you've had it for so long, the danger in it is that you become totally complacent to what it feels like not to be free. Yeah. Or maybe you just will never understand it until you've lost it all. And I think people really need to ask them that, themselves that hard question. Are you willing to go through the experience of losing your freedom entirely in order to appreciate it? Or are you able to get to the point now where you say, you know what? I want my kids to have the opportunities that I've had. I may not recognize the, the severity of what's coming, but if any part of our freedom is going to be ripped from us, I'm going to stand up now because it may be our only chance to stand up now and winning in 2022 I believe firmly is our last chance to save this country and save freedom. I think if they get through 2022 with a majority, 
you're going to see a consolidation of power happen that is going to be really scary for our country and our future and our children. And so that's why, you know, a lot of people ask, why would you do this? Why'd you burn down your career in Hollywood and go do this? It's very simple for me. This is about my kids, my grandkids. Um, I really, I could care less about my job. It was a job. It was, you know, a dream I had as a kid and everything, but there's no dream greater for the to me than freedom for my own kids and my own grandchildren. And I think that to preserve that, the greatness of this country, people have to stand up and make sacrifices right now. So I'm not just going to tell people to do that. I'm going to do that. And that's the decision my wife and I made is we're going to make the same decision, the same sacrifices we're asking other people to make. We're going to stand up to the detriment of our own job and whatever it is, and we're going to do the right thing. And, you know, what I saw in Virginia really heartened me because I saw so many people who had voted Democrat for a very long time, finally recognize that the Democratic Party that exists today is not the party they voted for in the past. Okay, this is not the party of JFK. If you go back and you read JFK's writing, you you read where he stood on the issues, JFK would be thrown out as a racist, as a fascist. I mean, every every other ist and ism in the book. Okay, this is not your grandfather's Democratic Party. Yeah, and on the flip side, this is also not your grandfather's Republican Party. You know. The Republican Party of today is very different. We're much more populist oriented. We've divorced ourselves from the corporate sort of oligarchy that people like Mitt Romney wanted to tie us to. We are a working people's party. So when you see this shift, you know, in these dynamics, um, I think that it portends really good things for us in the future. But we have to motivate and bring out voters. We've got to, to light the fire and be also the warriors that voters are requiring us to be. Because let me tell you something, if Republican leadership and Republican politicians go out there and they're meek and they don't fight and they don't act like warriors for freedom, they're going to lose an opportunity like we've never had before to become a dominant party. And I mean a truly dominant party. We don't need to struggle in elections anymore if we fight for people. We can have elections where we just dominate and dominate and dominate if we do the right thing. And I think that has to sort of lead our decision making at this point is what is the right thing for the people and how can we fight for them? If we do those two things, we're going to be unstoppable. Yeah, there is an enormous opportunity. And I think young voters, which started with a, you know, a very strong leftward tilt, probably because of people like John Stewart and, you know, made it popular to be lefty. They're, they have buyers remorse now. They're like, this isn't what we voted for. And they're taking a second look at Republicans. Uh, climate change. How important is that as an issue for Republicans to have their own alternative to the, you know, the crazy new Green Deal? You know, I think it's actually more I think the right way to pose this question is why do we talk about it the way we do? Because here's the reality. This is what we should be doing right now. Republicans, and this is, this is my view. You tell me what you think about this. I think that we should be out there right now making the point very clearly that Republican-run areas are greener, cleaner, and have you know, just generally more beautiful environments. We take care of the environment. Yeah. I know in my own area, we, I live in a Republican you know, part of town, and when there's trash on the road – people pull over and they pick up the trash themselves. There's a sense of personal responsibility yeah. and pride. In our Isn't that true? We don't allow it to be disgusting. And I can tell you, having lived in LA, I've driven behind a Tesla before where they threw a water bottle out the window onto the street <laughs> and there's nobody cleaning it up, you know? Um, but that's sort of the irony there. They're like, well, I've got my Tesla, so I don't have to do anything else. 
And it's funny here. You just, you don't see that. And that's not a knock on Tesla, by the way. I, I have right. one. I like the cars, but I also am not deluding myself into thinking I'm saving the earth by having one. Right. Um, but we should be making the point that we are fighting this on the local level, that, that this is a local issue. And we should be putting the pressure on all the Democrat run cities saying, Hey, you guys are the ones polluting the planet. You guys are the ones doing all of this. Why are you preaching at us? You know, essentially demonizing Republicans when it's your cities responsible for the worst parts of these these problems. Isn't that amazing? And put the onus on them. But regardless of that, what we should be talking about is the fact that all of our kids, all of our families, we want them to have clean water, clean air. Yeah. This is indisputable. We're not these crazy evil people that would love to see water filled with oil, you know, right. And that's sort of it's almost funny. They've turned us into like comic book villains. And the fact that anybody believes it is is the ludicrous part to the point that it's kind of funny, because, of course, we care. The biggest environmentalists I know are all conservative. They're hunters. Usually, you know, they want to conserve land for us to be able to hunt on. They want those animals to stay populated. They want to control and make sure that people don't kill too many of them, because if they do, then we're not going to have enough to hunt in the future. We're thinking about environmental issues on a daily basis in conservative areas. So I think it's really more so about messaging who we are than it is about saying like, oh, we need to have some grand plan because the The reality is I'm not sure that Yeah, exactly. We need to just sort of set the example and say, hey, carry out our example. We challenge you to carry out our example. Now on an energy level now, could we talk about the fact that, you know, we could – make some inroads by using more nuclear power because it's it's cleaner and it's you know there's a lot of options there yeah sure but on the flip side of that we also need to be realistic you know right now gas prices matter to people and we need to pump more oil we need to get oil we need to be self-sufficient here and stop closing down pipelines you know biden they just said this morning that they're considering shutting down another pipeline. No, Michigan. Michigan, isn't that crazy? This stuff is ludicrous. It's ludicrous. You know, so we've got to, on the short term, deal in reality and make sure we're providing people with number one, good jobs, but number two, lower gas prices. And number three, also, there's no harm in planning for the future with things like, you know, nuclear. A lot of people were scared because of Chernobyl. That's just sort of the everlasting thing that people, you know, or Fukushima and it pops in their head. The reality is nuclear has advanced a lot and it's, it's really one of our cleanest, safest options if we do it the right way. And I think that that's something that, you know, there is a conversation in the future to be had if you are concerned about the environment. But on the flip side of all this, I can tell you, you know, there's a lot of competing interests and a lot of competing, you know, sort of ideas about where we're headed in terms of um, what I'll call it weather, because that's really what this is all about. It's not so much about climate, it's about the weather. And so they make all these claims about it. Well, NASA came out just a couple of years ago, three years ago, saying that we were headed towards a period in a solar minimum where we would actually see global cooling for a very significant period of time. Now, that's competing versus what you see a lot of the top left-wing scientists say who say we're going towards a warming period. Right. Now, you know, traditionally, if you look back historically, you know, I'm sort of a space nerd, so I understand this stuff. One of my friends is, is really high up. He's one of the chief technical officers in one of the main, you know, space programs. And we're talking about this. If you look historically, solar minimums, I mean, there's no sort of arguing it. Solar minimums bring cooling periods. So if your concern was a couple of years ago that our planet was warming, you should be excited by the prospect of a cooling period because the idea would be, okay, well, that's going to bring us backwards in a way that will allow a lot of time, you know, but they don't want to even have these conversations because none of this is actually about weather or about climate. 
It's about remaking economies. And so, you know, when you hear the Build Back Better, what people should really be thinking about and concerned about is that you can't build back better until you destroy everything. And that's really the message. They want to destroy everything. And that's at the core of the Green New Deal. It's at the core of Build Back Better. And so, you know, I guess that's a long way of answering the question, but I think that we really need to focus on how we message on these issues. And I think that's been our biggest failure. And to fix it, we've got to understand that we failed on that front to message to young people. Yeah, well, there's a lot of people beginning to work on that to develop a messaging platform because there are so many great things conservatives are doing on clean water, clean land, clean air. And uh, they, they keep having the debate on the Democrat side. And I think you're one of the people that are breaking out of that mold and having the debate on actual Republican policies. That's going to be something really fun to to watch, Robbie. Uh, last thing, I, I know i got to let you go, but uh, what are going to be the issues that your own personal race will turn on? Uh, you're going up against a 30-plus-year Democrat. Uh, what are the issues that are going to resonate and turn that race to your favor? If I boiled it all down to one thing, it would be freedom. You know, I'm, I'm standing for people's freedom to live the American dream, for them to be able to engage in the economy the way that they'd always hoped to, for them to be able to have the freedom to do the things with their family that they want to because they're not held down by the prices that they're paying every day at the grocery store. It's going to be those economic issues and the school issues, but it's also going to be something else. I would predict we're going to do really well with young people because I see a real opportunity. We're not hinging the whole campaign on young people. Everybody would say that's crazy. But I do think we're going to surprise some people. And here's why. When George Bush was president, we got 44 percent of the youth vote. OK, people forget that. Yeah. Barack Obama changed the way that you thought about elections because he engaged in culture. We're going to do the same thing. We're engaging in culture. For example, we're planning a huge concert for next year that is going to have major nationally known artists playing a fundraiser for a Republican candidate. OK, when was the last time you saw nationally known artists come out and do something like that? And I think it's going to be a pretty big deal especially for young people to be able to see these are relevant people now. They're not past their prime. They're, they're people who people care about now. Seeing the next day, thousands and thousands and thousands of people went to a concert supporting a conservative candidate. You know, I think that the social dynamics of that, the social psychology of it is going to produce some outcomes that are really surprising and sort of an openness to, you know, almost the, the energy Trump had in, in 2016 where he said, hey, what do you have to lose? That's sort of going to be an opportunity for us with all the craziness going on to say, hey, what do you have to lose trying freedom? You know, I think that going back to that core ideal of who we are as a nation, that freedom matters, I think that's going to be what wins this race for us. Well, there's early evidence already in Virginia that those issues are working. And uh, Robbie, that's uh, such a fact. I could spend all day talking to you. You have such a fascinating view of the world and now you have so much energy for the conservative movement they're very lucky to have you running there in tennessee and we're going to get you back on the show sometime soon to keep uh, keep um, expounding on some of these great issues but thanks so much for spending the time with us today and uh, we'll be cl- keeping a close eye on your race it's one of the bellwether races for for 2022 thank you i appreciate it yeah we win the seat we have the majority and that's that's what people have got to remember so if people want to support us go to starbuck2022.com we need all the donations we can handle because Democrats plan to spend millions and millions and millions of dollars trying to keep me out of Congress. There's nothing more yep. dangerous to them than minority Republicans. You know, my family's Latino who oppose socialism and will vocally do so and will be warriors for this cause. They want quiet, <laughs> meek Republicans. 
They yep. don't want attack dogs. Yeah. And they don't want especially intellectual attack dogs who can tear apart their arguments. They really don't want people like me in Congress able to debate the ideas. So we need your support and appreciate it. Thank you so much. Yeah, that's great, Robbie. All right, we'll be back in touch. I'm sure to have you back on the show soon. All right, folks, we're going to take a quick commercial break. When we come back, we're going to talk a little bit about the lawsuits pending against the vaccine mandate. Job Creators Network President Alfredo Ortiz will be here in just a second. Ah. The comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car selling command center. Thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. All right, folks, welcome back from the commercial break. As you probably saw over the weekend, uh, the a large outcry against uh, President Biden's new vaccine mandate for private businesses with more than 100 employees 27 states have already uh, filed lawsuits or protests against it, but the first out of the box was the Small Business Lobby Job Creators Network. And joining us right now are two folks right at the middle of this legal dispute. Alfredo Ortiz, the president of Job Creators Network, and Gary Rabin, a Republican candidate for Illinois governor who also is a small businessman who is the focus of the JCN lawsuit against the Biden administration. Gentlemen, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Yeah. Hey, John, thanks for yeah, this is such a big moment. This is going to be one of the epic legal battles of our time. And, and you know, really the authority of OSHA, the argument is it unconstitutionally exceeded its authority. Alfredo, why don't you start us off with just telling us what the lawsuit targeted and why you picked Gary as the plaintiff? Yeah, absolutely. Again, thanks, John, for uh, having me. And uh, yeah, look, absolutely, this was critical for us to do, our small business owners, were really, really concerned and frankly up in arms because in the midst of everything else that they have going on, John, the labor shortage, inflation, the overall COVID mandates overall that they're still dealing with from a locality standpoint, and just, you know, the overall wage increase and labor shortages. I mean, it was just really, really tough for them to even fathom that they were going to have to now be basically the vaccine police across the country. And, you know, the large corporations, interestingly, John, seem to have no problem with it because I guess when they lose, you know, a couple hundred people out of a workforce of 30, 40, 50,000 people, I guess it's, it's not a big deal. But when you have a small business, for example, that is 120, 130 people like Gary, uh, who's going to ch- uh, chat with you in a second here, that's a big deal when you lose about 25 or 30 percent. And oh, yeah. I can tell you, John, across the board, what we're hearing, that's about the estimate. That's what we're coming back and we're hearing people think you know, of about 30 percent of work. Yeah, about 25 or 30 percent of the wow. workforce is not going to do it. They don't want to take the vaccine. And when you've got this kind of a tight labor market 
right, where you may have 1%, 2% unemployment in some markets, it's really not too hard for somebody to go, hey, if you want to enforce this, I'm going to go to a company then that has less than 100 employees. Yeah. And so, you know, so obviously this is a major concern uh, for our small businesses. And overall, we decided it was a massive, massive overreach, uh, government overreach. And one more quick thing before I hand it back over to you, John. You know, we take great exception with the way the president and the administration actually try to sell this to the American public as a mandate that specifically targets our largest employers in this country. When I hear largest employers, I'm thinking, you know, Citibank, I'm thinking Coca-Cola, Delta, right? That's what I'm thinking about when I hear largest employers, not 100, 120, 130, you know, employees, which, by the way, the definition of this from the Small Business Administration is 500 or less. So this is really going to impact a big, big swath of our small businesses. And I think they should at least be honest with the American public. Yeah, and they, they need to be. There has to be an honest accounting. Now, Gary, you're running for uh, governor. And of course, everybody thinks, well, you're a politician, you work on this. But actually, you run a business, right? It says a painting business, I understand. How does this mandate affect your business? So, John, I'm, a, I'm an extreme uh, entrepreneur. People call me uh, you know, business <laughs> I'm a business builder. I built over 30 little businesses from nothing no kidding. to, to uh, over the last 20 years. I've been in business for 40 years, okay? So for me, I understand small business and the pressures on small business, and I've never seen as much pressure as we see today. I really feel it's purposeful that, that this administration, our, our president, as well as our governor of Illinois, are, are, they're, they're attacking small business because they don't care. These guys are bought, and when you're bought, there's not a lot of money in, in, in lobbyists uh, lobbying for small business. So no, got, you know, the, the big corporations can lobby really easy to, 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 to drown uh, and smother small business, and that's what they're doing, in my opinion. And we've got, we've got uh, a, a mixed group of we have, uh, 13 companies all together, the Rabine Group, one with over 100, a bunch of them that with, with 10 to 70 employees, okay? And, and the, the, when you're a small business like we are, and we're in dirty jobs, right? We do paving, concrete, asphalt, roofing, dirty jobs. For people, people who want to work in our businesses, they, you know, number one, they make good money, but they got to kind of be inspired. And, and, and these people have backbone. If you're going to inspire people, you want independent minds, because we, we continually grow new companies. You want independent minds that can go off and, and, and be their own entrepreneurs, partnered with us. The best people on our teams are people that you have to inspire. You don't tell them how they live their lives. You don't tell them they must put this in their body or that in their body. If you do, you lose the best minds, the most the most independent minds will go from our company, and, and they love our company, their, their family, if they're, if they're told they must do anything like this. Yeah, that, that is really remarkable. That instant loss of workforce can be really devastating, too. Now, are you seeing, when you talk to your employees, that that percentage, that 25 to 30% percentage is what it looks like maybe affected for some companies your size? So, John, I think it's going to be more than that. Again, I, I've grown my business, our businesses by saying I want entrepreneurs so we can continue to spin out new businesses on an annual basis to serve our customers with. And so in doing that, we, we get people that want to be entrepreneurs. They want to lead. They're not followers. So when you have leaders and, and people that are entrepreneurial, they, do, they, they, they understand what freedom is. They understand what the Constitution is. And they know that this is wrong. So, so for me, it's going to be probably, it'll probably be 35, 40% is what we guess. Wow. Um, and and it's, uh, it'll, it'll, be detri- it'll be devastating to our company, just like it is to any innovative company out there. I mean, if you've got a bunch, of, a bunch of sheeple that work for you, your business is not going to be very strong in the long run, in my opinion, right? We're going to serve our customer at a world-class level like we do, and we can't have just people that just kind of go along. We want people challenging the status quo, challenging the industry we're in to be better. And these aren't people that are followers. So we're, unfortunately, we're in a position and many great small businesses, the most innovative, are going to be really hurt bad by this. 
Yeah, it is really, really remarkable. And Alfredo, as you look at this now, what is the status of the lawsuit? Where does this head next in the courts? And are you heartened by the stay that the state of Texas and Louisiana was able to get on Saturday? Yeah, John, we definitely are. And when you look at what happened on Saturday, we we thought it was a great opportunity for our small businesses, at least in the Fifth Circuit, to benefit from this stay. But, you know, our concern was is that these are small businesses all across the country, of course, right? And so uh, we actually put in immediately, probably within an hour or two of the, of the stay from the Fifth Circuit, we actually put our own motion in to make sure that this actually applied not only to the Eighth Circuit, which is where we filed, right. or the Fifth Circuit, which where the stay was actually granted, but across the country for all of our small businesses, so really nationwide stay. And when you actually look at what they said, though, uh, John, this actually confirms what we had that all along from day one on this one, and th- this I quote from the court, it says, they have delayed the federal vaccine requirement because of potential grave statutory and constitutional issues raised by the plaintiff. Yeah. Again, it's what we had also said is that this is a gross overreach of, from the federal government and unconstitutional. Yeah, so it could be your lawsuit that gets a nationwide injunction, right? That That's the potential vehicle for the whole country to be frozen while this gets uh, litigated. Any doubt in your mind that this is going to get to the uh, Supreme Court? Uh, we're pretty sure it's going to. When you've got 27 states involved in the federal government, and then, of course, in our organization representing small businesses across the country, I mean, you're talking impacting over 80 million people. And the president and his administration just can't willy-nilly all of a sudden do this that and, and, and impact 80 million people without having some kind of input from the House and the Senate. This has to be something that comes to Congress. Yeah, that's really important. Gary, I want to go back to you for a second because the, the vaccine mandate is really part of a much larger agenda of the uh, Biden administration, the Democrats in Congress. And you've got the infrastructure bill that just passed over the weekend. You've got the big social spending bill, which is two or three times or four times, depending how you count the money, larger. As a businessman, and you look at these policies in Washington, are the folks running Washington right now listening to the people really on the front lines of the economy? They're not. Uh, when, I, when I look at the, you know, this, this bill and the money, where the money's going, I mean, this is the Green New Deal. This is AOC's bill. This is Bernie Sanders' bill. And it's sickening that we have socialist leaders in our country dictating what goes on. And, uh, and I, we see this in a state level. We've got a, a governor that was celebrating London, England yesterday with our Speaker of the House and our, our, and our President yeah. of the Senate um, about the, the fact that they're going, they're in London uh, recruiting uh, people in London to come here because we're going to be the greenest state in the country as we eliminate our nuclear energy, our, our uh, coal, and our, and, our, and our natural gas. They're inviting, you know, everybody and their brother from across the globe. These are the jobs that they think they can bring to Illinois, which is, it's crazy. They're, the only way they can promise this stuff is with taxpayers' dollars subsidizing their investments here. Otherwise, our, our, our environment, our regulatory environment, kills small business so bad in Illinois, nobody's coming here anymore. The only way you're going to come here is if you get paid by the taxpayers, by our, by our dictator-in-chief. So, again, I, I look at the federal government and, and, and some of our states, like Illinois, they're in line with each other perfectly in this Green New Deal concept that they're, they're shoving down our throats. And, yeah. it, and it's, kill, it's just killing business. And infrastructure, I mean, the amount of money going to infrastructure is not even close to what it should be here in our state or in our country when it comes to the money they're spending in the, on, on green initiatives. And, and we know as small businesses, you know, we're, we're the innovators. We're the innovators. And, and when you crush the innovators, right, you got, you got nothing. And this is what's going on. I mean, we, we need to let the free market you know, pick the winners and losers, not, not government. 
Yeah, such an important point. And and I think that's the, when you talk about that socialist tendency, there's a difference between big government socialism and free market capitalism. And, and that's playing out. Now, you're taking on a giant, you know, a, a democratic governor in a blue state. What tempted you to jump into this race? Did you see these dynamics that just played out in Virginia? Are they playing out in Illinois as well, this frustration with the economy, education, security? John, like I said, I, I jumped in this race because I, I'm, a, I'm a, a small business person that understands the regulatory environment, how it switched from 15 years ago being a competitive one in our, in our state, and, and job abundancy was here. So today, 15 years later, the worst regulatory environment in the country as they piled on more and more smothering regulation. So I jumped in for that reason, and for our, our taxes are the highest in the country as well, to go after these two things fiscally. Like, boy, as I've been running, it's gotten really ugly here when it comes to public safety and when it comes to the, the, this governor dictating uh, you know, how we educate our kids, too. So we, I'm, I'm going at, I mean, the, the most important thing in our, in our state right now is we got we to create a safe environment again here in Illinois. We've, we've, we've uh, ruined our, 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 the confidence of our families, our mothers, um, that, that it's a safe environment. And now we're, we're, we're indoctrinating our kids like, like no other state in the country. So those two things are top of mind. Um, the, the fiscal issues have to be fixed as well. But, boy, if we don't fix the culture of the state so, so mothers and fathers want to raise their kids here, we're going to be losing an extra 100,000 people a year on top of the 100,000 we're losing because of economics, right? Yeah, boy, that's uh, people do vote with their feet. That's an extraordinary thing. We've seen California already, the mass exodus from California, and Illinois seems like it's doing the same to its great residents as well, tempting them to leave the state for, I should say, better policies, I guess. Last question for you, Alfred, just real quickly. What other things are Job Creators Network really focused on that are going to be essential to the economy? People are worried about inflation. They're worried about stagflation. They're worried about supply chain, worker shortages, although it does look like the end of the federal subsidies brought some workers back into the marketplace. What are the indicators that you're looking for to protect Main Street in America and its great businesses? Well, John, outside of these mandates and the lawsuit, unfortunately, that we we really had to you know put on the Biden administration here, we're very concerned about tax increases. We know that under the Tax Cut and Jobs Act back in you know just a few years back under the Trump administration, those tax cuts for small businesses were one of the primary reasons why we saw that kind of economic boom and growth, especially in the small business sector and especially in terms of employment. I mean, remember that two-thirds of new job growth is in the hands of small businesses. And so as you cut back their opportunity to invest back in their businesses, whether it's you know through higher wages, right. hiring more people, or just investing back in their businesses, when those tax cuts hit, I mean, we're going to have, again, massive issues with inflation, employment going up. I mean, we are going to have a return back to Jimmy Carter 2.0 like we called back at the beginning uh, of this year. Yeah, that's it. The people are talking about that more. In fact, Jimmy Carter may look better uh, when this is all done, given just how much <laughs> yeah. these, I think you had, a, if I remember correctly, you guys did a, an op-ed or an advertisement suggesting that uh, that might happen. We uh, did. Yep. <laughs> yeah, and, we uh, did. We took, we took a nice Wall Street Journal ad out, and uh, boy, it's certainly true. I mean, when Biden looks in that mirror, he has to just be looking at Jimmy Carter, looking, staring back right at him. Yeah, it is amazing. I, I actually want to ask one more question because it makes me wonder what happened to the original protectors, the original voices of corporate America. You guys jumped right in on this, as you have. Uh, Job Creators Network has really jumped in on so many big issues in the last year. You went to the defense of uh, the black small businesses that were punished by MLB when they moved the All-Star game. You've been uh, suing and, uh, and challenging many of the overreaching regulations of this administration. 
what has happened to places like NFIB, to the Chamber of Commerce, which were the blue chip voices of businesses like Gary, representing Gary's businesses. Why have they gone so quiet? Where are they on these fights? Well, John, they're either in two places. They're either MIA or, frankly, they've, uh, they've completely gone woke. Uh, and have basically, uh, uh, you know, caved to that entire idea of wokeism. And it's so unfortunate because obviously that's not what our country is built on. Uh, capitalism and the, and the, and the wonderful aspect that capitalism actually has brought to not only this country, but to the world are completely being forgotten about by these, uh, you know, large industry associations, by large companies. And, you know, that's why we have to protect our small businesses, John. I mean, without small businesses, there is no community. And without these small businesses, there's no country. I mean, I always tell people, you know, on a weekend, go to your, you know, local uh, little league or soccer league or something. I look at that scoreboard. Look at everything around there. Who, who are the people that are supporting the, the, those kids? It's not Chevron. It's not, you know, uh, Delta or Coca-Cola signs up there. You know, it's Spice Right Barbecue, you know, uh, Bill and Bob's uh, Dry right. Cleaners. I mean, these are the people that support the local communities. And so that's why we need to do everything possible. But, uh, you know, what Gary said is, is perfectly right. Uh, there's not there's not money in, in, in lobbying for small businesses, right? So that's why everybody has very much walked away from them. And so we need to do this uh, on behalf of our small businesses. Remember, 30 million and point sixty million, John. Yeah, it is. It is. The, you know, Main Street is the engine of this incredible economy. Gary, do you feel abandoned by a lot of these other groups? Are they not representing businesses the way they used to? Yeah, so I've actually been parts of, you know, I've been a part of NFIB and others. And uh, yeah, they're, they're, I'm not sure if they're, they lack common sense or they're bought, right? My, my whole concept in my leadership and my, my business, as well as running for governor, is a common sense and I cannot be bought. And I, and I feel like, Big organizations are bought in some way, whatever, you know, whatever those ways are. I mean, I, I, we can all probably look deep and discover those ways. But yeah. I, I think they've got enough people that they shouldn't be lacking common sense to understand the destruction that these things do to small business and jobs. So my opinion is, is that the, the next answer is they're bought. Yeah. Well, that is going to be a question that a lot of businesses are going to be asking over the next few months. But Job Creators Network is there to fill that void, and they clearly have. Gentlemen, we're going to keep an eye on this case because I think it could have really long-lasting national implications. We'll probably get you back on as the courts start to get more and more involved in this. But thank you for your time today. Thank you, John. Thank you, John. Yeah, I really appreciate it. All right, folks, we're going to take a quick commercial break. When we come back, we're going to wrap things up for the day. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. What a day, folks. Welcome back from the commercial break. Yes, it is time to wrap up. But before we do, 
I have two requests for you. I want you to do something special for veterans this Veterans Day, which is this Thursday, by the way. It's coming up in just a few days. Listen, there's so many things that we can do to make the life of a veteran better. We have two really great options. One comes from Omaha Steaks. They've got a special package, 50% off. You go get it, you order it, you send it to the veteran in your life, you're getting 50% off, they're getting 30 some odd entrees, incredible foods to keep you filled and happy. Some of the best meats ever, ever produced in America, right there at Omaha Steaks. Go check that out. You just got to use the Just News code word at checkout to take advantage of that incredible offer, 50% off. Also, Andy's Kit Club, really one of my favorite folks. They do amazing things. They've got an option for you to get 75% off your first kit and what you're going to do. And we're going to talk to them and some of the charities that they're using. You can take one of these craft kits, make something beautiful, and then send it to a veteran in need or to a veteran's organization that helps veterans in need. Andy'sKitClub.com slash Just News. Go check that out. Two great partners at Just the News trying to make a difference this Veterans Day, giving the gift that keeps on giving, whether it's Omaha Steaks or an incredible quilt or some other piece of clothing or craft that you can make and then gift to a veteran. Either one of those are amazing options. Please do one of them. Please make a difference in the life of a great veteran. That's what I've done this November 11th. I'm excited about it. I hope you'll do the same. All right, folks, that wraps up another edition of John Solomon Reports. We'll be back tomorrow. Until then, may God bless you and may God bless this extraordinary country, the United States of America. You've been listening to John Solomon Reports, the podcast from, you know, just the news.